Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome, sisters and brothers, to a special edition of AFT in Action. My name is Jan Hockadell. I am your State Fed President, and I am co-hosting this latest episode from my home. It's the first since we began our social distancing to help stop the spread of coronavirus or COVID-19. The sound quality isn't up to our usual standards, but the topic is as important as we've taken on. This is the first of multiple episodes where we'll address the impact of COVID-19 on our members in our communities. I've asked Mary Jordan to return as my co co-host because we're focusing on Connecticut's public school educators. She is joining us from her home in Easton. Mary, you co-hosted an episode with me a year ago. At that time, you had just been elected as AFT Connecticut's Vice President of Pre-K-12. And you've also continued serving as President of our Norwalk Federation of Teachers. So needless to say, the pressure of both of these roles has been extreme since school started closing in early March. You've handled it all with grace and our members so appreciate your leadership. Thanks for that, Jan. This truly has been a challenging time for all of us. This is a time when people coming together is power and sharing information really helps. We've gotten through it by leaning on and supporting each other. In other words, just like a union of professionals. Exactly. And that's why I've asked you to join me as the co-host. As I mentioned, we're taking a look at how the pandemic is impacting teachers, their students, and their schools. And to do that, we're featuring highlights of an event that we organized with the Connecticut Education Association, better known as CEA. Right, Jan. You co-hosted a teletown hall for teachers in both our federation's affiliated local unions, Your guest was the commissioner of the State Department of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona. He also brought two of his senior leadership staff with him, Chief Operating Officer Charlene Russell Tucker and Desi Nesmith, his deputy for academics and innovation. Yes, and I was joined by CEA President Jeff Leak, who is himself a veteran teacher. He taught elementary and middle school students in Cheshire and has a long personal history of labor and public school activism. Jan, together you and Jeff led an important discussion with Commissioner Cardona and his staff. The members' questions submitted in advance were thoughtful and the responses were insightful. I really appreciate that, Mary. As you know, we pulled this event together in just a few short days, but we felt strongly that our members needed this opportunity to hear from the commissioner. No question about it. You and I, along with several state federation staff, have been meeting regularly with Commissioner Cardona and his team and we've been reporting back to pre-K-12 council delegates and sharing resources at the AFT Connecticut website and also the council's Facebook group, but still there's no substitute for getting information direct from the source. Couldn't agree more, Mary. So let's hear some highlights from our teletown hall, including the commissioner's answers to key questions. Many similar concerns have been on the minds of our teachers, And one that came up the most in all of the questions is uh, the concern for safety of students and staff, especially since we know the students and adults can be infected with the virus, not have symptoms and still spread the virus to others. So in in your opinion, Commissioner, what protections do you think must be in place before schools can reopen? 
safety is needed. We, we need to make sure that not only are we providing for physical safety of our students, of our staff, and the families that they go home to by making sure that our schools are safe, but we also have to make sure we're providing that emotional support and emotional safety that we know will be needed so much more in education moving forward. Um, we've all experienced trauma in the last seven weeks, um, and in, in some cases, much greater than others, uh, but we're all going to be coming back having those experiences, and we have to be re responsive to that as an education community uh, by providing support to our teachers and by providing support to our students and families. So as far as uh, what is required to come back in, I'll tell you that um, earlier today we had a reopening uh, Connecticut Education Subcommittee meeting, um, which was joined by uh, both uh, Don Williams and Jan Hockadell. Um, and we're gonna be making decisions uh, to uh, inform the governor's decision. Uh, we're gonna be making recommendations to inform the governor's decision on safety materials. But we know that we wanna promote safety above all. We wanna make sure that our teachers are safe. We wanna make sure our, our students are safe. And that means that protective gear and um, recommendations for specific types of testing are available and contact tracing. We wanna make sure that safety is, is paramount when we make decisions about uh, everyone returning back and, and how we return back. So what protocols will be in place to predict um, the safety when someone at the school has the symptoms of the virus? For example, will the person be immediately tested and will there be protocols for quarantine? The decision on the protocols and social distancing requirements uh, have not yet been developed. And uh, quite frankly, that's the work that we're doing now in collaboration with uh, various partners, right? So uh, we're, we're listening to the health officials, number one. We want to make sure we make our decisions based on science and what's, uh, what's uh, safe. That's what's going to guide our decisions. But we're also getting input from uh, different folks, from principals groups, superintendents groups, teacher uh, groups, to make sure that uh, those considerations are, are taken into account. Uh, but there will be some guidelines on what should be the basic minimum in order to make sure that it's safe enough for, for reopening. We don't want to take risks uh, in the name of doing it quickly. Of course, and we have uh, members that are also school nurses, and they just wanted to know if the plans will include um, how to best utilize them at, during the reopening um, to empower them to provide that unique input. I'll turn it over to uh, Deputy Commissioner uh, Charlene Russell-Tucker in a second, but nurses have always been critical in our schools. I was an elementary school principal, and let me tell you that, school nurse was someone that I relied on very heavily and they're, they're so important as part of the school community. So definitely the role is going to continue to be an important one, uh, even more so now as we recover from this uh, pandemic. But Charlene, can you speak more specifically to that? Absolutely. That our school nurses are critical. And for those school nurses uh, on the call, I am sure you know Dr. Uh, Stephanie Knudsen in our office, and we certainly will be working to make sure uh, that she reach out to you as a constituent group uh, to hear your thoughts and ideas so we can move them up uh, to certainly to the commissioner and for the reopening committee to get your voices and also uh, to make sure we leverage what you do every day with superintendents so they know that you're a trusted uh, resource that they should also be calling upon and look uh, in the near future for us to be doing some webinars about our pupil personal services in schools and how to leverage the great work you do every day because you're a critical member of the team. I am receiving multiple texts about a question that um, 
I, I think don't think we can go too far into this uh, into this webinar uh, without getting to which is at the moment when are schools going to open? <laughs> what what might the big picture there, which would be, you know, where are we right now? Uh, might there be something like an extended summer school? Is anyone considering? I just saw that the California governor was suggesting that maybe schools start actually early. Is there any of that conversation going on? You know, ultimately the decision rests with the governor um, uh, with regard to uh, uh, class cancellation and businesses at this point um you know we're looking at while the curve is flattening it doesn't necessarily mean uh it, it we're, we're able to open um and have uh students re-engaged in school at this point i've asked district to plan for both scenarios but they need answers soon and so do you you need to know sooner than later uh where we're going um I, the decision hasn't been made yet, but we we think it's unlikely that we're going to come back in June uh, to resume classes. Quite frankly, the hour and a half conversation that we had with the reopening group earlier today, there's so many questions that have to be answered. There's so many protocols that have to be put in place before we bring students in. Ultimately, we want to make sure we're safe uh, when we uh, reopen our schools. So it's unlikely, but the decision ultimately rests with, rests with the governor, not only with my input, but with input from our uh, health professionals as well. There's quite a few members who work at the state's technical high school system, which you know I taught at um, on this call. Um, do you see any difference in the protocols for the eventual reopening of the technical schools? Uh, shout out to the CTEC's crew uh, listening, um, proud graduate of uh, CTEC. Um, you know, I, I think the considerations on that district are unique in that, uh, and Debbie, I'll turn it over to you in a minute also, uh, but they're unique in that they're geographically not together, right? So we have 17 different schools uh, in different communities that um, might have different levels of uh, transmission in those communities. So um, I would imagine that the, the level of uh, collaboration between the CTEC system and the local school community uh, is going to be greater than, than ever um, to ensure safety for the students and the staff there. Great. Daddy, did you want to add to that? In terms of the CTEX piece, we're working closely um, with the TSEX, uh, CTEX superintendent to make sure that um, their protocols will be aligned with what best practices are and what state guidance comes from um, the reopening committee. So we'll make sure that our, our CTECs are, are operating um, as everyone else in terms of, of expectations and uh, making sure that we're putting safety first. You know, it's it's more expedient if I were to sit in a in a room and just draft up some recommendations for all districts to think about. But instead, the right way of doing it is gathering stakeholders that have different perspectives from throughout the state to say, what do you think we should consider when coming up with a reopening plan? And I'm pleased to say not only does the Connecticut Education Task Force Group have representatives from both CEA and AFT, but we have six regional teams throughout Connecticut that were already established, um, where members of uh, teachers are on each of those panels to provide perspectives from different parts of the state. So I know that your your suggestions, your thoughts are being considered in our overall plan. I'd rather it be done well, because we can't get it 
we can't mess this up. We have to do it right the first time, and we have to take into account all the different perspectives. Some of our members are concerned about what we can possibly do to provide greater equity and access to technology uh, for all students in all school districts. And then, uh, as an aside to that, uh, are, there, are there ways that we think we can try to reach out to parents who are, and, and and fill in in a way for them who are not able to be there for their children because they might be working multiple jobs and they're just not they're just not there. Equity and access has been something that we all believe in. We share the same goal that we need to do a better job in Connecticut closing attainment and opportunity gaps and achieving outcomes. This is something that I from day one have been saying we're gonna we're gonna raise the bar. We're gonna we're gonna do a better job, and I'm thankful that CEA AFT have been saying we're with you with that and we agree with it, we're doing things already and they have some great ideas. This has never become more important than now. Um, I, you know, in, in, in one day, we realized how far back we went in terms of equity and access. When uh, March 17th, the order was made to close schools and some kids went home, some kids like mine, who are privileged to go home to internet access, they have a laptop, they have parents that can help them, you know, and then there are students that went home where their parents are working at a grocery store or their frontliners or their, and they don't have internet access and they don't have a, a, a quiet place to work. In fact, they're taking care of their younger siblings or in, for the older students, they're working to help provide income. Huge inequities. And everything that we do moving forward is either going to help address achievement disparities or it's going to hurt achievement disparities. So, you know, when we're talking about policy, when we're talking about, uh, funding, when we're talking about providing the social emotional support that our students need, we have to keep an eye on the groups of students that we know are being affected even more so uh, than the norm. I don't have to point to the data that suggests black and brown students are getting it more and more black families are experiencing loss. That's a reality that we have to address when we get back. And um, I'm pretty, with you, I'm pretty passionate about that. And it's something that I want to make sure that as the fiscal crisis looms, we don't lose sight of the importance of our work to use education as a great equalizer. And I'm more committed than ever to make sure that we do that. So there's also a lot of talk about grading, um, both this year um, and next year. Um, the thoughts on the pass-fail for this year or what you think next year might look like? Teachers don't have everything at their disposal to provide the lessons that they would have provided uh, when we were in the schools, And they're doing their best. and in many cases, we're talking in some of the same districts, we have students with access, um, time, support at home, and then we have students who are dealing with, sadly, loss in their family and don't have access. So we needed to be realistic and we provided guidance to districts where a pass-fail or a pass-incomplete for that student whose life circumstances require that he or she take care of those life circumstances. Um, and then come back when they're ready and we'll uh, allow them to get credit. And even some districts, uh, we gave the, the guidance that they could consider passing with distinction. For those yep. students who have excelled, despite whatever circumstances they're dealing with, they've excelled. We worked with our colleges to make sure that they accept what we're doing so we're not penalizing students. Um, not only our seniors, our juniors, but also our freshmen who four years from now are going to be going for scholarships right. too. And they're going to have that in there. So we've been doing that work to be, you know, when we talk about equity, it's also about the decisions that we're making. The policies that we're making or we're endorsing, 
either promote equity or hurt equity. And in, in this case, we felt that a pass-fail option would be the best way to support students, but also be realistic given the, the pandemic. How do you envision this crisis will impact the public education in the future? It's just going to reaffirm what we know about our educators, that they're going to step up to the challenge for our kids, that they're not going to give up on our learners, that they're going to do whatever they have to do, even if that means they're setting up a classroom in their basement while their kids are upstairs, while they're tending to the home responsibilities, they're going to make sure that they connect with their learners. Like what it's going to do is reaffirm what we already know, that teachers are willing to do everything including get into parades and, and beep horns in front of their students' houses to let them know that they care and that they're there for them. That's what we know. We also know that our profession will never be the same. Um, we're going to get stronger because of this. Um, we're going to continue to support students. But I do anticipate, to be very specific, I do anticipate a greater focus on the social-emotional development of students, of um, the, the emotional health of students, and of our staff have to be embedded in everything that we do moving forward. We just experience this together and we don't know how long it's gonna last. So whatever we do moving forward, we have to make sure that we're taking care of each other as people first, and then everything else will follow. So I anticipate that being a bigger part of what we do moving forward. Equity and access has to be, we have to double down on that. Um, and we have to make sure that we're prepared uh, for learning to take place in different places and through different means. This is really just a sample of our hour-long conversation, but it reflects the value of the information we've been able to provide to our members. Absolutely, and the full recording will be linked to our AFT Connecticut website's main teacher page. That way, members who weren't available to join the Teletown Hall can listen to it at their convenience. Right, Jan. It will be linked at the top, along with additional COVID-19 related information, and plus, I'll share it at our AFT Connecticut Pre-K-12 Council Facebook group. Mary, thanks for that. And thanks for joining me again for AFT in Action. I've always valued having you as part of our State Federation leadership team, never more so than in these past seven weeks. Thanks so much, Jan. It's been a humbling experience, to be sure. We've got a long way to go, but I know we can get through it together. It's basically... It is that you and I in union way. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. We'll expand the discussion of the pandemic's impact for our next several episodes of AFT in Action. We want to hear from our member nurses and our healthcare professionals, our school student support staff, higher education faculty, and state employees. And we want to answer their questions too. Send any comments to email at actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T. N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign A-F-T-C-T dot O-R-G. Plus, as always, you can leave us a voice message by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. That's 860-257-9782, extension 116. And I'm really looking forward to addressing your concerns. Thank you in advance for adding your voice. And to all our members, thank you. Thank you for all your efforts during this unprecedented crisis. You and your colleagues deserve recognition for courageously working the front lines and selfishly delivering all the vital services. You are all heroes in my eyes. Thank you. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the power of the UNI in union.